One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is already Wednesday. I don't know where the time's going at the moment. It's really, really fast. It's running past me uh, like you can't believe. You have to try and keep up. There's an awful lot of news, as you would expect today. Prime Minister's questions, of course, with Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak. Great piece in The Sun today by Douglas Murray about five million Britons who are paid for not working. Meanwhile, we keep importing more and more people to do the jobs for them. There's something wrong with that picture. William Clouston is here with us from the Social Democratic Party. We'll find out from him. What can we do to fix this particular dilemma? One piece of good news is the HMRC civil servants are on strike today. So if you've got any tax problems, uh, they won't be solving them for you. So that's the strike today uh, that we have to deal with. There's some rail strikes coming at the weekend, of course, in case you're trying to get to the Eurovision Song Contest, which I'm not. uh, But you won't be able to go anywhere else either which is a bit of a problem. Coming up as well, uh, we'll be talking about the House of Lords because uh, now's as good a time as any uh, to ask the question, what is the point of it? Uh, we've got Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, saying to them, do your duty, stand up for the people of this country and don't mess about with our bill. Which sounds a little bit anti-democratic, doesn't it? I mean, that's what they're there for. Whether you like it or not, that's what they're there for. They will be doing that. We'll also be talking as well to Professor David Coleman about the latest numbers on the legal migration statistics. Also, Dr Steve Taylor joins us to discuss whether it's a good idea to get people straight out of school uh, being doctors. Doesn't sound right, does it? The doctor will see you now. Hello, how's it going? How are you feeling? I've just got my pencil case and I'll come and see you. I mean, mad, crazy. Idiotic. Peter Cardwell will be here as well. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk TV. I'm Mike Graham. William Clouston is here. Very good morning to you, William. Good to be here. It's slightly unnerving, isn't it? The idea that some uh, kid in short trousers comes in to see you and you go, Who are you? I'm the doctor. Yeah, um, are you? We're, yeah, we're told they are under supervision, and actually, yeah, right. and, and it's a very small scheme now. It's only a couple of hundred people, but yeah, but um, it's not very good if you're one of the people being seen by one of the couple of hundred people. It depends. Well, it, it's, the devil's in detail. It all depends what under supervision means. In principle, actually, Mike, I'm I'm not against uh, learning while you work. Yeah, it, but they already do that. I know, I know. I I suspect this is a little bit of a PR yeah. stunt. I mean, I've been very vocal about nurses learning on the job because mm. now that they do this ridiculous degree course, actually, yeah. um, it kind of hinders the numbers of nurses on the ward. It so does. I'm all for it if you're a nurse. Yeah. But I think a doctor's a slightly different kettle of fish. And as I say, if mm. you are, the, the last two years of your degree, you're mm. in hospitals anyway. Mm. Yeah, they're doing it, they're front-ending it, aren't they? Yeah. But it's not a, you know, I'll just remind the public, it's only 200 people. This is a little bit of a PR stunt. Yeah. And uh, the interesting thing is that the head of the NHS, uh, England, said that it, it's a sort of generational opportunity to solve the uh, training crisis, mm. isn't it? 
what have you been doing? Yeah. Why, why do you wait? Why, why well, I've we been this asking this ago? very question probably yeah. for as long as I've been on the radio, which is now something akin to about 15 years, right? Mm. Um, why has nothing in that 15-year period been changed? Mm. They haven't changed their recruitment policy. They haven't changed their training policy. They haven't really tra- changed anything about the way the NHS is run. Mm. And, and yet every year it's in the same crisis. Well, I think I know the answer to that. I think the, the answer is the labour market model we've been running, which mm. is we... We, in a lot of things, making things, but also training things and get, you know getting people to do things. We rely on other people. Yeah. We don't we, for things that we could do ourselves. Yeah, the supply chain problems yeah. that we've had. Yeah, so food. We can't be bothered to train you. We'll just ship them in, and that'll do. And and of course, if you do that, I mean, it links into another story which is out today, which is the the five million people. Yeah. Out of work well, that's benefits. a big story today. It is, and and that's and that's part of the same cause you know you've got this you've got these twin addictions in this economy which we talk a lot about which are debt reliance yeah. on debt and a reliance on mass migration until mm. you face up to it uh, and change the model this is just a consequence yeah. I'm afraid well a great piece as I say by Douglas Murray in the <coughs> Sun today in which he mm. talks about the 5 million Britons paid to not work yeah um, and there are there are cities in this country where 20% of the people of working age don't do anything. Yeah, and that's, that's a lot of people. It is, and that that's mainly the post-industrial uh, zone in this country, the Midlands up to the north yeah. and beyond. Where and in towns like Hartlepool, mm. you know, the, the, the towns that have lost their industry, we shouldn't be surprised that you end up with people uh, who are idle, yeah. you know, are not able to to function. You and is it because there's no opportunity? Because, but we've still got a million jobs that remain unfilled as well. Yeah, but then it's work to the workers and, and, and work to, you know, it, it, de- it depends where the jobs are. I mean, right. there are the, the labour market, uh, the shortages in this city, London. But uh, no, it, I think it's a, it's a consequence of, of, of post-industrial uh, policy. You mm. know, you, you, we don't care about where things are made. We don't make enough here. We consume too much. You end up with these vast zones that are deindustrialized, And it's, we've seen it in the States and we've seen it here. Funnily enough, Biden actually is becoming quite protectionist They call now. it the Rust Belt then, don't they? It is the Rust Belt, yeah, exactly. And you get deaths of despair. Yeah. You close the factories down and the drug dealers right. move in. And people become unhealthy. People need to turn yeah. up to work. But the know. point about all of this is that this was happening a long time ago. We're talking mm. decades. We're talking, in fact, last century yeah. when you talk about post-industrial decline. You yeah. know, most of what you're talking about happened in the 1970s and 80s. 1780s, yeah. I mean, but Brett, broadly, the figures are uh, eight, in the 80s, we st- a third of the economy was still manufacturing. Now yeah. it's 9%. Right. We just don't bother to make... I mean, a lot of that's a lot of that is food production, which is food is heavy, and a lot of it's processed here. We just don't. It's been neglected for years, mm. Mike. And even the basics that a modern uh, industrial economy would need uh, don't get done. Simply don't get done. No government, whether it's Blair or you know the, the sort of PR spivs, uh, you know Cameron and Osborne, yeah. they don't do anything basic. They don't, right. they don't get the basics right. So but they're always they, promising a sort of land of opportunity, the land of milk and honey, you know, the new industries that they're going to bring to the nation. We hear even Boris Johnson talking about Hartlepool, I think, was a place that was named, Grimsby was named mm. as a place where there was going to be this new kind of, you know, green energy business. Mm. Mm. What's happened to that? Well, it's just PR and spin. If there, there isn't any. No, because a, a sensible government. So to have a, a proper manufacturing sector, that is, the foundation of that is, is cheap and reliable power. So, Mike, I'll ask you, have they, have they bothered to do anything on that? No. We could have built nuclear power stations 25 years ago. Right. Didn't do it. Mm. If we had done it, we'd have had the base load we need. Well, Nick Clegg's very proud of the fact that he apparently stopped it happening. It'd take too long. It's I mean, disgraceful. Well, we can't wait 10 years. Well, we're now 10 years on and More, we haven't got any energy. We haven't got any anywhere. And, I see, and, and Boris Johnson, since 2019, you know, mm. was on about, 
you know, the, the new Rolls-Royce uh, small modular reactors. Yeah. Nothing has been done. No. And we have the sites, Mike. We have the sites in this country, existing mm. nuclear sites up and down the country. But is that a, a failure of planning? Is it a failure of um, activity or a action? It's a sort of decay in, in the government's capacity to do anything. Most people in this country know that the government can regulate and boss us around. Mm. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it's capacity to do something. You know, you want, I mean, you go to a successful industrial economy like South Korea or something yeah. like that, you will see the government getting involved in, in these things. And, they, you know, whether it's public transport or housing, or they actually do things. Yeah. And I despair, you know, I mean, on the housing side, we've talked about this a lot. Mm. Um, all they can do is try and get the market to do the job partly that they should do. Yeah. I mean, I've never asked for the market to do the whole thing, but I think the government should be able to do... It's, it's actually pathetic, because I've only asked the government to do on housing what a small family building firm is capable to do, which is build a few houses. Yeah. That's basic. Well, I mean, the thing that Douglas Murray brings to, to, to the fore as well is mm. immigration, because mm. these two things are intrinsically connected. Totally you've got, linked. You've got, uh, you know, the million jobs which are vacant still. You've got mm. people coming into the country at a vast rate, where something like 500,000 came in 2021 legally. Mm. Forget about the, the small boats, right? I know. And it's now going to be 750, mm. probably for 2022. Mm. So you're already talking about 1.2, one and a quarter million more people in the last two years, and we've built about 200,000 houses. Mm. So where are they supposed to be living? Well, at an average household size of 2.4, I mean, I just don't know. I mean, Lord knows, it's actually reckless. Well, it's not enough houses, is Reckless, of course not. I mean, and, the, and as I say, the government, every single time the government, or for that matter, the Labour Party, every single time, and the Lib Dems, I, I don't know what they have to say on this Well, we'll issue. come on to they the pact, Yeah, we? they don't, every time they mention anything on housing, they don't do the thing that is missing, which is state capacity in house building. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not asking for very much. And sensible states mm. do it. I'm not, you know, I'm not a sort of raving Corbynite. I'm asking for something that's quite I basic. I mean, are there, I mean, this is always a question I suppose one should ask. Are there countries that you could look at who do it right, that we could copy? Well, uh, yes, because, uh, I mean, uh, Singapore, for a start, which is yeah. the most successful state in, in the world, yeah. they create the most out of the, the least. Look at their public transport, look at mm. their power generation, look at their housing. The state is absolutely involved. And it's not a big state. It's easy it's there, just because it's a bit one. more authoritarian, isn't it? So they, well, can, they tell people how they're going to be living and they get on with it. OK, but the maybe, well, I mean, we're in a, a crisis, Mike, and maybe we need, uh, I mean, the policy that we have in the SDP is to create development corporations like you had in the Docklands yeah. to actually build these houses. Mm. And they're going to have planning powers, they're going to have compulsory purchase powers, and they're going to have planning uh, powers to actually get them done. So I think you do need to actually roll your sleeves up and, and uh, you know, there's no use going th three sides round a, a square on this. Mm. You've got to actually roll your sleeves up and do it. Right. And people are fed up with... I think um, people are definitely fed up of inactivity and the fact that the government says that they're going to do a lot of things and then it turns out they hardly do mm, anything. We can't do it because there's this problem or that. But so, no, they are absolutely fed up with it. But back to this this point about uh, the, you know, the, the five million out yeah. of work benefits. Um, the, it's, a caused, it's caused by the model. If you, if you rely... We can see what they're doing because the migration figures show what they're doing. They just rely on, on foreign labour coming mm. in. That's it. And the UK haulage industry, actually, there was a, a very interesting piece in the FT of all places. Uh, they were complaining that they were, they were being forced, effectively, to train homegrown lorry drivers. And I thought, heaven forfend, yeah. you know. That's exactly what we wanted, actually. A slightly tighter situation. Well, the so lorry drivers that I, I, I spoke to before break. Brexit and after were very happy mm. because they suddenly mm. got paid more money we for predicted, driving. We predicted that as well. So, yeah. you know, an economist, 
I mean, it, you know, it is a dismal science. But look, look, you have an open, vastly open labour market. It has two effects. First effect is to depress wages because if you increase the supply of labour, it will depress mm. wages. Second major effect is it disincentivizes training. And so it's about time we had a government that said, no, we're going to train some Brits here yeah. to do these jobs. And not actually, it's, it's actually immoral what we're doing in the mm. health service to ship in uh, doctors from Sudan, Mike. Yeah. Doctors from Sudan uh, shipped in to look after us when mm. Sudan has greater need. It's not, it's not sensible. It's not good for our own workers. And the model has to change. Yes. But also, does it not also mean that the people who are getting paid not to work are getting paid too much in benefits? Because surely you need to incentivise people to work rather than to say, you just stay where you are, we'll For look sure. after if you. For sure, if you speak to people uh, out in the hinterland, the, fa the family that has, uh, is most despondent about the cr present situation is the family where both mum and dad work full-time, bringing up kids, paying taxes, and they're slightly better off than some families that don't work at all. And they know it. Right. People know this. So the model is, I agree, there has to be a, a significant gap. Mm. But that, leaving that aside, it's not that the cause of it is the model itself because we don't even bother to train anyone. Yeah. And whether it's the health service or, you know, Jeremy Hunt, the doctors, you know, we, we talked about these, these, these doctors, 200 doctors learning on the job. Jeremy Hunt was in charge years yeah. and years ago. Yeah. And the pipeline, he's, he's responsible for the pipeline being too, too short. And he knew it. Mm. I mean, my reaction to this would be the health service literally get, train sufficient people on all sectors, doctors, nurses, yeah. paramedics, the lot, for your needs. And don't rely yeah. on other people. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. But we could have been having this conversation 10 years ago mm. and nobody did anything. They don't. Well, that's because we're run by terrible parties. Exactly. <laughs> so if they'd done it 10 years ago, we'd have plenty of doctors. They we'd would. have plenty of nurses. We wouldn't have a recruitment crisis and we wouldn't have people complaining that, oh, uh, we haven't been managed very well. Well, what about the people in the bleeding NHS? What have they been doing? All I agree. these managers that they've got. No, I agree. And I, I've never, ever pretended to the public in anything I've said that some of the adaptations to where we need to go won't be quite... Uh, there will be some adjustment, and some of the adjustment will be slightly painful. Mm. But we will be better off in the long run if we face it. These two addictions of debt and mass migration are, are not good for us. They're not good for no. us. You're, you're basically selling the future by doing this. We need to flip the policy. It's worse than that. They're mortgaging the future, yep. and they won't be able to pay it back. That's yep. the problem. That's However, uh, coming up, we're going to talk about Labour. We're going to talk about the Lib Dems, because there might be a pact coming up. Also, we'll talk a bit about how... Um, the SDP did in Thursday's elections last week. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Tony in Barrow says this. Mike, put a photo of the migrant barge on a poster saying you will be placed on this barge, moored a mile offshore and kept on board until you are processed, deported to Rwanda, your home country or back to where you entered Europe. Place it in every French coastal town. This is the only way we will stop the boats. Well, I've said for a long time, we need to stop them coming rather than trying to sort of just process them quicker and put them in barges or hotels or houses because simply the numbers are just far too big. We'll come back to that. Um, William Clouston is here from the SDP. Let's talk about last Thursday's election, local election. Mm. Difficult to, to, to sort of draw too many conclusions from the overall picture other than that people are pretty fed up with politics at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it actually went. The, the national results were exactly as predicted. Mm. The Tories, as a you know, government party facing local elections, quite badly. Yeah, about a thousand plus seats. Uh, Labour Party, interestingly, didn't do any better nationally than they did last time. So they made uh, pretty much no progress at all. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's as predicted. Uh, I'm I'm going to raise a, 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 a flag and say, well, here we go. We the SDP took 
uh, Middleton Park, a second seat in Middleton Park, Leeds, which is a, a large area of yeah. Leeds. About 35,000 people live there. Uh, in a bitter fight with Labour over the years, and we took a second seat there. And I can't think of many big northern city seats that Labour lost. Yeah. But we took one, and uh, we, we will continue the So thing. you've now got two in Leeds. We've got two in Leeds, yeah, which is a group, and so they get extra. Uh, we have a leader and a deputy leader, which is very nice. There you go. No, we, and they'll have a great councillor, Emma Pogson-Golden, and she'll join Wayne Dixon, and they're just absolutely community people. So yeah. you know, they, they're concentrating on the basics, public realm, getting things done, and people notice, which is why I think we won the second election. Yeah, and as far as um, the messages are concerned, you know, Labour... We are, we are told from that result would not have a big enough majority to form a government. So they wouldn't. We, so would very possibly have to go into coalition with somebody, even if it was on a you know sort of case by case basis. Mm. Yesterday, Keir Starmer refused to rule out going into bed with uh, the Lib Dems when previously he said he wouldn't do that. Yeah. Well, uh, he he will, uh, and it's true. I mean, no, you don't know. The election probably is you know fourteen, fifteen months yeah. away, and you don't know. But. He's not doing well enough now on the mm. polls to win outright under our system. And remember, actually, when you're facing a government that got an 80-seat majority, the d electoral dynamics, you need to get a hefty... Mm. You really do need to do really, really well. Yeah. And he's not doing well enough. And also, the, the basic reality is that the public don't particularly warm to him. No. I mean, it's not Well, he made a complete well. blunder. He seems to always kind of kibosh himself, you know. Mm. Just when you think you, you would have done quite well, he, he could have made hay out of the, the election result, albeit mm. that it wasn't as big as perhaps he wanted, but it was mm. pretty good. Mm. Um, instead, he comes out this week and says, oh, the public don't care about these woke issues. It's not They're not interested. Well, he's completely wrong about that. Well, they do, and, and actually he cares about them, and his party is full yeah. of uh, people. And actually, if you look at uh, his party, the Liberal Democrats, on the, all these major issues, they're pretty much indistinguishable. I don't really know what the difference is between these two parties. Mm. Uh, and, but Starmer's harmed himself. Um, people People are realising that he doesn't actually have any thought through uh, policy values. He doesn't appear to have much conviction because Not almost every policy that he now has, he, he has flip-flopped on. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say, I'm not joking, Mike, two days, three days is actually quite a long time for Starmer to hold a position. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's uh, you know, he virtually every major thing on housing uh, or on railway nationalisation or on utilities nationalisation or what a woman mm. is, he's sort of halfway there. Maybe he's just a slow learner. I don't know, but he won't, he'll, he'll get elected as leader of the Labour Party on a particular platform yeah. which has some socialism in it yeah and then he just bins it right so a lot of people on the on the left is not going to vote well for he's even more detested by the left inside his own party than oh yeah he is by yeah. tory voters yeah no and it's it's not worth you're getting a sort of uh you know sort of what is it a cameron light sort of government in the end so it's yeah. not going to do anything so but it is lack of conviction if you flip-flop constantly like this no one knows what he is you know he when he was a kid he used to be against the monarchy uh then he's then he's for it so literally all over the place it's a mark it's not just insincerity. I think that's a problem. But I think it's a mark of someone that doesn't know where he wants to go. No. That's the big Well, issue. I think he's frightened of where he wants to go because he wants to go where everybody wants him to go. But yeah. everybody doesn't want him to go in the same place. Mm. So he's immediately confused by that. And he doesn't mm. know which ones he should go with and which ones he could take with him. And he's frightened to take a step. It's a bit like somebody who's frightened to go out of the house yeah. uh, in case something bad happens. And yeah. so you just stay inside all day. You don't go anywhere. Yeah, and but it's like the was it the travelling Wilburys? Uh, you know, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. He's, yeah. He just doesn't. He's he really is is clueless on that. So I think people want a little bit of conviction. Funny, I gave a speech actually to uh, uh, a group uh, uh, that's quite well known <laughs> a couple of a couple of weekends mm. ago, and uh, and the, and I I don't really consider myself a conviction politician particularly, but they the guy who convened it said actually it's good to have a conviction politician. 
And you've got to believe in things. Well, there are you've things you con- believe in. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. now makes you a conviction politician, yeah. apparently. Yeah, I know, yeah. You know, yeah. Like actually believe who, it. Somebody who actually got something that they think is right yeah. and, will, and will tell you why. Yeah. So on the on the question of the next election, so he was asked, uh, I think, several times, ten or... Seven, time, I think Seven times, yeah. about his stitch-up. Uh, is he going to get into bed with the Lib Dems? And of course he will. And Ed Davey has made it clear that he won't talk to the Tories. Mm. It's quite an odd position. I mean, it didn't work out too well for them last time. But he won't... Uh, so he's only got one place he can go. Lib, I mean, if you vote Lib Dem, you're going to yeah. get Lib, I mean, Lib Lab. People have said to me in the past that the only thing that the Lib Dems ever really stood for was staying in the European Union. And it's yeah. the one thing they could now rally behind, but they're not doing it. They do believe in that, but they I agree. They don't believe in But they're in not fighting else. on it. They're not saying... No. This is our position, and if no. we were to be in government, we would ask for closer ties to the European Union, or no. we would ask for a return to the single market, or something. No. At least it would give you an idea of what they wanted. Well, under the table, they all want that. But the the interesting thing is that I I, th- I think that with Starmer doesn't is not strong enough to win outright. No, he will probably he'll obviously talk to the Lib Dems. Actually, to be honest, I would quite like them to get together and change the voting system because mm. the voting system really doesn't serve us well. You know, it locks out challenger parties. And, and and I always say to people, you think we're well-governed now? Mm. Do you honestly think we're well-governed well, under this system? This is my next point is about Suella Bradman and her, her yeah. sort of entreaty to the House of Lords. I mean, mm. I'm not a big fan of the House of Lords as it currently is. I think we need a second chamber. I think mm. it's too big. Mm. I think there's too many Lib Dems in there mm. and too many people that should Too shouldn't. many cronies. Yeah, too many cronies as well. And getting rid of the um, hereditary peers and replacing them with more people mm. um, who are cronies was not the best idea. No. Um, but for Suella Bradman to sort of issue them with almost a kind of ultimatum, you know, don't wreck our parade seems a bit ridiculous doesn't it yeah i mean under the system they're doing their job and you do have some very good uh, peers that actually do i mean the sdp's policy is to get rid of the the, the lords uh, mm. but, but that's a different matter and but replace it with an elected second no chamber. to be unicameral we want an english parliament right. we i mean the, the problem with the structure that blair put in you've got welsh assembly northern yeah. ireland when it sits and scottish assembly assembly scottish right. parliament uh but england is left dangling and people mm. know it you know, you're just left dangling in this sort of never-never land. You don't have it. So our policy, the SDP's policy, is to have an English parliament. I would have a cap- it's, it's parliament in York. Right. Uh, and then you'd have a unicameral UK parliament. And it can work, actually. You can have an enhanced uh, committee system. But haven't we got too many bleeding well, layers that's pre- already? No, but that's precisely the point I make. I mean, you can't have an English parliament and the Commons and the Lords. It's right. too much. So, you'd have, so you would have, rather than the Lords, you would have an English parliament, effectively? Well, for England, you'd yeah. have similar powers to Scotland, but you'd still have a UK parliament. But wouldn't that would water down the UK parliament then? But it would in terms of what it does anyway. So the UK parliament would be responsible for foreign policy, defence, and matters that, that, that oversee the mm. whole of the UK. I mean, that's, the, that's where we are. But, you know, you do have some, I'm on the laws, you do have some very good laws. Claire Fox works very yeah. hard. She's very good. And, and as you say, she was, you know, they're all doing the job of scrutinising, which uh, the present system, that's what they do. Uh, Braverman said... Don't defy the will of the British people on yeah. this. And I sort of thought, hold it, I hadn't realised she'd gone into the comedy business. <laughs> I mean, she, she, they, they've defied the British people, Mike, yeah. on migration uh-huh. ever since the 2016 vote. And don't trust the Tories on this. Yeah. A complete waste of time. They've ramped up mass migration. Yeah. As you say, we're But of course she would say, well, the reason I'm saying that is because we haven't been able to do the things that the people willed us to do in 2016. Because, we've been, because we've been stopped by a combination of lefty lawyers, the European Court of Human Rights, 
uh, and you know, all manner of other s people like the House of Lords. So says a government with the majority of 70. True. Come off it. I just, I'm no, not I making their case, yeah, I'm saying that's what they would say. I don't buy it. I, th I think they just don't have the will to do it. It's mm. the same on the migration. It's the same on the channel migrants crisis. They could, we saw what they could do in, in the pandemic. Yeah. They could get emergency legislation. I think the uh, channel migrant crisis is an emergency. Well, we don't want them doing that anymore. I mean, they made a bit of a dog's well, breakfast of on, all that. On, if you want an open border with people just rocking up, yeah. uh, you've got to do something about it, Mike. And, sure. Uh, and it is an emergency. Listen, I agree. Yeah. And I would just make sure that they didn't come by making it much less attractive. Simple. Well, we our policy is to uh, let them come if they want to come, and we ship them to Ascension Island, and they stay there for a yeah. long time, and then they go back to where they're from if they if it's unsolicited. That's it, and that would stop the flow. I yeah. promise you. No make it, one make it make it a, a much less uh, easy situation for mm. them to, to be able to get themselves involved mm. in, and make it and make it possible impossible for them to stay. Mm. And they're going well. They shouldn't. Any unsolicited arrival on the channel should yeah. never stay. No, never. exactly. And that stops it. But you've got to have the will. You've got a little, a little bit more muscularity. But then it. you've still got the seven hundred fifty thousand coming in at the airport. Exactly, and that's you know. that's my point. And in a way, Bram the arrivals hall is looking pretty busy. That's a bigger yeah. And and they've lowered. And the Tories and the public should know this. The, the Tories have deliberately lowered the threshold, the salary threshold yeah. for skilled migration mm. down to 21,000, which is the below the minimum wage right. anyway. So there was no, there was talking about skilled migration. Or, no, they don't. They're just using this as a tap. Same as debt. It's mm. a debt tap. It's a migration uh, tap. It's an addiction, and we've got to get over it. We must. William, good to see you as ever. William Clouston there from the SDP. Uh, we've got more to do. We're going to be talking some more about these 5 million people uh, who don't work because they don't have to, because they get paid not to. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is the place to be, of course, for the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's a beautiful day out there. It looks as though uh, perhaps summer is, in fact, on the way. Uh, the weekend was a little bit on the wet side, wasn't it? Coronation is now well and truly over. Uh, we can forget about the royal family for a while, I'm hoping. Uh, not because I particularly don't like them, but just because, you know, they've had their fill of publicity for the last five days, and now it's time to talk about some other things, including, of course, the NHS, because we've always got something to say about the NHS. This week we were told that GPs are going to be given a new phone system to make it easier for them to actually make appointments and book appointments and see more people. Also, pharmacies are going to be given uh, more powers to do more things so that, that eases up uh, the strain on the GP surgeries around the country and that can only be a good idea. Today we learn uh, that there's an idea going around that Perhaps you can get apprentice doctors out there uh, so that we can increase the numbers of doctors available uh, to see the mem members of the great British public. I'm not sure this particular one is going to fly, but we're going to talk to Dr Steve Taylor uh, from Doctors Association UK to see what he makes of all of that. Plus, we'll continue talking about the housing problem, why we don't have enough houses, because there's more people coming into the country than there are uh, leaving the country, therefore we need more places to put them. We'll be talking more about the migrant bill going through the House of Lords, of course, as well. So much to discuss. And then we've got Prime Minister's questions later as well. We'll be bringing you that uh, in a slightly different way today, but we'll tell you more about that a little bit later on. How about this from Pam? Morning, Mike. The more houses that are built, the less land is available for growing crops, so the more we are dependent on foreign powers. Regarding those that have never worked, they should be made to work by reducing their benefits and allowances. Why should people work so hard to support the idle, lazy and mass immigration problem? Also, laws should be tightened on people fit to work that use health loopholes. Well, I think all of that is uh, open for for debate. Much of it uh, I agree with Pam. Certainly there's five million people currently in this country who do not work and who are in receipt of benefits and I'm sure not all of them uh, are incapable of doing some kind of work. We may have to fix that up. Maybe train them as nurses, maybe train them as doctors. Let's talk to Steve Taylor, GP spokesperson for Doctors Association UK. Steve, very good morning to you. 
Good to, good to speak to you. Yeah, nice to see you. There's been a lot of um, talk around, you know, how to speed up the transition from the NHS of, of a place where there's not enough nurses, not enough doctors, to getting more of them. Um, I'm not. I mean, I'm 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 all for nurses working um, on the, you know, learning on the job because they don't as much as they used to. But I'm not sure about doctors. What do you make of this suggestion that doctors could be apprentices? Well, I, I, actually, to be honest, I'm, I'm a lot of. Uh, a lot of junior doctors, well, medical students actually work on the job already. Yeah, they're just, they're just not paid to do it. Um, I suppose the, the the question I had when this came up um, this morning was, what what was the problem they were trying to solve? Yeah, um, I think they're trying to solve a problem with not enough doctors, but actually at the same time this year we've restricted medical school places from ten thousand, which we had last year, to seven thousand five hundred. Right. So I'm not quite sure. It doesn't, I, I try to square that circle. It doesn't compute, does it? It's strange. I mean, I've been told that one of the reasons why there's a limited number of doctors being trained is, a one, there's a financial one, but it's also, too, um, a suggestion that came from the BMA, um, you know, the doctors' union, who don't want to train too many doctors in this country. Well, I, well, I think that was long ago. I mean, that, that, that particular ruse, which was about, I think it was probably 2008, when the BMA was saying there aren't enough training places. But uh, I think that's changed a lot. I think we all know that there are not enough training places. It, I mean, it was good that it actually they went up to 10,000 for right. the, the, the previous three years. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm surprised and um, somewhat bemused that they, they reduced it again to 7,500. Nothing right. to do with the BMA, that. Yeah. It does seem odd, though, doesn't it, that you've got nurses who didn't used to have to have a degree, but who now do, um, who can't train on the job as much as perhaps they used to in the olden days. And now, and instead of putting that back to where it was, they want to make it the case that doctors can now train on the job without having a degree. Yeah, I'm not sure what the problem is. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I guess we, the issue is we haven't got enough doctors. I mean, I think that, you know, I think we all agree with that. But the, the problem is, I think we've got lots of holes in the bucket. Yeah. Uh, so 35% uh, of doctors leave the UK at some point after their training. Um, there's a big hole. That's a um, lot of people, isn't it? Yeah, a massive number. Yeah, a huge number. And I, I, I mean, it's frankly appalling, isn't it, that we would lose 35% yeah. of our And where are training. they? Are they all going to Australia or something? Well, I mean, a lot of them go to Canada, Australia, uh, New Zealand. Um, and more recently, places like Qatar and Saudi Arabia, I right. think they're, they're the places that people are going to, yeah. Right. So it's a financial decision they're making in a lifestyle. Well, I'd probably a financial one and a workload issue. I think we all know the NHS is under a lot of strain, yeah. isn't it? A lot of them go into private medicine as well, don't they? Um, well, I, I, not many, I don't think. I mean, in this country, there are, you know, we, we've got an increasing private provision, which, uh, you know, I think, you know, has some benefits for some people, but not for everyone. No, but what I'm saying is, is that most of the private people working in private medicine have probably been trained in the NHS, haven't they? Yes, but that's that's at the top of the end. So you know, it's consultants and that sort of level. I mean, yeah. these are these are these are junior doctors that are leaving, not 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 the uh, senior consultants. Right. So at the moment, for example, if I was to go into a hospital and be seen by a junior doctor, by and large, they are people who are training for what seven years to become junior yep. doctors so at some point they're allowed to to tend to patients at what what point of their sort of degree course are they allowed to do that well it's all the way through really i mean i think medical students are taking histories sometimes they're taking bloods once they qualify after five years of medical school they're then set loose and doing other things so you know they could be the person that compresses your chest when you're having a heart attack right. um so i mean from that point onwards they're operating you know gradually increasing doing the more complex stuff as they go through yeah. um, but are they operating as junior doctors or as sort of um medical assistants if you like well no they're junior doctors um i mean depending on which grade you are you could be you could be the only you could be the person that's doing the operation you know right. so um three or four years after 
you know, medical school, you you are doing the operation. And there's no other seniors around. Right. You know? I'm just trying to figure out what this would look like, really. You know, if you've got apprentice yeah, yeah. doctors, I don't know whether there's going to be some 18-year-old who's just left school um, who's not going to university but is being trained, say, at a hospital, and what that individual would be doing with a patient. I've no idea. I mean, I, I, I honestly have got no clue. Because um, I think I, that, I mean, I think that's what most people's concern is about. It's about, you know, if you're going to walk into an A&E uh, with half your arm falling off and suddenly there's a sort of 18, spotty 18-year-old there going, don't worry, uh, I'm an apprentice doctor, I'll sort you out. People are going to think, really, are you? Yeah, yeah, and, I, and I, 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 that's it. I mean, what, what, what are they trying to fix? You know, I think, I mean, they could just increase the medical school places back to 10,000. There's 25%. They're only going to get 10% from this process. There's, you know, medical schools are oversubscribed, three to one. You know, yeah. 75% of applicants are turned away. We're not short of people applying. Right. Um, so, if we, really... well, so there's another circle that needs squaring, then, or a square that needs circling. If there's loads of people who want to be doctors, why are there not enough? Well, I mean, it's the hole in the bucket at the other end. <laughs> you know, we're training them and they're leaving. Yeah, but so um, they're taking advantage of us training them and then they're again going somewhere else to make more money. Well, that's I'm not entirely sure whether that's... Uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, that could be... I mean, what you're talking about there is whether we're paying our doctors enough to stay, I think. We're, you know, we've had that argument the last... Well, not really. I'm, I'm saying that they're, they're, they're sort of rather ungratefully taking uh, from, from the state over here and then they're going, oh, I could go make a lot more money in Qatar. I mean, we could well, maybe. I mean, but they've, they've probably already worked here five or six... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wagovi and zep pound for those who qualify plus they accept most insurance plans to get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Years already at that point. Yeah, but should we not have a kind of a, a slightly better retention scheme in which we say, look, if we train you for seven years, then you have to do at least seven, maybe ten years here before you go somewhere else. Uh, how else do we retain people in any other place of work? Um, we, we pay them enough to stay, don't we? Well, that depends. I mean, it's 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 not in in other places of work. You know, the state and the taxpayer, i.e., me, hasn't hasn't trained you. Whereas in in the medical business, that's exactly what's happened. And so I think, um, rather like the armed services, if you're going to be trained to be a fighter pilot, uh, you can't just become a fighter pilot and then decide to go and work for British Airways. You have to retain your time in there for a while before you can leave. Oh, 100%. I, I, I and I think I think that. they should I think they should owe us that, shouldn't they? 
well, I think they already do. <laughs> well, you yeah, know, but they're, but more, but too many of them are leaving. So, you know. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, I mean, in every aspect of that, we 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 need to look at how you retain staff in any place of work. You know, whether you're retaining staff at Talk TV yeah. or you're retaining staff anywhere. You know, at the moment, you know, talent tends to move, doesn't it? You yeah, know, it does. Live... No, because there's always a better opportunity. It's just a question, and I'm not I'm not suggesting that we can't we we can do anything about that. Well, like, what we yeah. can do something about is is to is to force people to stay for longer. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, how long? I don't do think that's put... unreasonable. Yeah, but I mean, most of them are staying five years after. Medical I'm saying, school. I'm saying, make it ten, because we'll at least need that period of time to train more doctors anyway, won't we? You know, until we get out of this particular slump where we don't have enough, make the ones who are currently coming out of medical school stay for ten years, and by the time they want to disappear off to Hong Kong or Qatar, uh, we'll have more, load more doctors. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's a. a <laughs> I mean, most of the. You're going to say that's I, a simplistic uh, solution, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I always get I told so, that. I, that's I, what I, I do. I, I do simplistic solutions. No, I, I appreciate. It. I mean, and, and it's an argument. I, I understand the argument. Uh, I mean, I think the reality is that most, um, well, all medical students are paying for their education as much as anyone else these days. Most of them come out with fifty, sixty, hundred thousand pounds worth of debt at the right. end of their five. And years. then they leave the country. Don't bother paying it back, presumably. Oh, well, you, you have to pay it back. I mean, they sound like a pretty rum bunch of people, to be honest. I don't know what they get taught in doctor's school, but, you know, they, they should be taught loyalty. They should be taught that you can't <laughs> disappear out of the country and not uh, pay your debts. I mean, what sort of morals have they got, these people? Well, I, I've worked here 30 years as a GP, and I've got to be honest. Well, why I've, haven't I've, you I've, left? <laughs> well, because I, I love the country and I love being here. There you go. So we need to teach them more of that, more love for their country, more love for the NHS, and more love for the job that they were trained to do. And in all, in all honesty, I was paid a bit more a few years ago. Yeah, good. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You say it as no, if no, you, you, know, you don't I deserve think, it. I think, I think fundamentally <laughs> the issue is that we're not paying him enough to stay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I've never met a poor doctor, by the way, but uh, but uh, I'll take your word for that. What do you well, make? Ten years, it? ten years from now, you might do. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, what about this uh, idea of moving more work towards pharmacies? I think that's potentially a good idea, um, but equally, I'm yeah, told... yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. I think I, I love our pharmacists. I think one of the problems with the pharmacy situation is that um, that they've had contracts that have underfunded them for quite a while as well. Yeah, I mean, there were 400, 400 closures of pharmacists in the last few years. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, so, I imagine they'll, they'll, they'll. I mean, I've, I've certainly had conversations with pharmacists who have said that they could do with more staff and they could do with more, yeah, um, more money if they're going to be doing more work. Because I, all I can tell you anecdotally is, if ever I walk into a, a sort of a friendly neighbourhood chemist, there's usually a queue at the pharmacy counter because there's more people that need seeing than there are pharmacists. Yeah, well, I think that's true everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's an awful lot of people here. That's another story. <laughs> but there we are. Anyway, listen, great to talk to you, Steve. Thank no, you very no, much indeed. Nice to speak to you as well. See you soon. Dr. Steve Taylor there, spokesperson from Doctors Association UK. A man that loves his country, a man that loves working here, a man that loves the NHS. Why can't all doctors be like him? And then we wouldn't have a problem, would we? Simple. This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots of you want to talk about the medical situation uh, and the NHS and doctors in particular. Paul in Fife says, Mike, the perceived shortage of doctors and consultants is largely due to them taking early retirement, working part-time or being on extended maternity leave. Well, I know there's an awful lot of doctors who don't work um, five days a week. An awful lot of doctors, of course, in the NHS also double up and do private work too uh, as consultants. So I think there is there are several problems about the numbers of doctors and the numbers of people who talk about 
the numbers of doctors as well. Uh, let's talk now to Professor David Coleman, who's Professor of Demography uh, at the University of Oxford. We spoke uh, to Alp Mehmet the other day from Migration Watch, and he was telling us that there is an expectation, a full expectation, that on May the 25th we will be told what the new immigration figures are, the legal immigration figures are, uh, for 2022. Uh, and they will be somewhere in the order of 750,000. And as Alp Mehmet said, uh, if those numbers continue uh, in the same way that they're going, projected-wise, we will end up with about 10 million more people here um, in six or seven years' time. Um, let's talk to Professor David Coleman now. David, very good uh, morning to you. Good morning, good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. It's, it's a fascinating uh, tale, this. I, I sort of fell upon it um, slightly by accident when I read a piece by Robert Colville in the Sunday Times a couple of weeks ago in which he said, you know, concentrating on the small boats is all very well, but the main large number of migrants coming here are actually coming legally. And I was saying to Alp the other day, how much do we know about who those people are? Do we know whether they're mostly students? Do we know whether they're families? What do we know about them? Well, they're all of those things, and Colville is quite right to draw attention to the fact that the number entering legally has always been very much greater than the number estimated yes. uh, entering illegally. Uh, and um, they, they are... Uh, a, a mixed bunch, you might say. There's a, a large, a large and growing number of students. Um, there are um, very, very many people coming as dependents. Uh, there are a, a lot of workers. Um, it's uh, been estimated that, that in in the last year or two, about 20 percent of of those who are entering come from uh, come for work, one way or another. Mm. And the rest are, are either students or um, or dependents. Or people, or people coming uh, on humanitarian grounds. And he was also saying to me that there is a good knowledge of the numbers coming in, but not such a good knowledge of uh, whether they leave again, because we don't really keep tabs on people and we don't really have a very good sort of exit system, if you like. Yes, that's an example of what my sociological colleagues call Britain uh, as being a, a weak state, yes. um, which, which maintains very loose uh, uh, sets of information about who's coming, who's going, mm. where people are, who they are, uh, and all the rest. Uh, we, we lack a, a population register. Uh, we lack really effective uh, uh, immigration counting mechanisms, both in and especially, as you're saying, out. Right. So, so working out... Um, the the the, the, um, the the tally is difficult. The, the original um, mechanism of doing that, the International Passenger Survey, has been mm. junk. Uh, it's been replaced by a very different set of base based upon modelling, um, which may or may not uh, uh, reveal um, a, a better uh, picture of the truth. We can't really tell yet. Yes. And so how is it measured then, those who do go out? Because presumably to get to the figure of net 750, if that is going to be the figure at the end of May... Um, how do we know how many have left and how do we know that's an accurate figure? Well, we, well, we, we don't know it's an, it's an accurate figure. There are um, exit checks, um, uh, but uh, they, they aren't yet um, in, entirely linked uh, exactly with, with, with entry. It's not like Australia where admittedly the, the flows in each way are smaller, but which, which can give uh, they claim uh, an accurate picture of, of, of um, people coming in and people going out. One of the problems, of course, is that uh, immigration is normally reckoned to be uh, people coming from overseas who have been there for at least a year, coming to stay in Britain for at least a year. The, the, that's the international 
definition of a migrant. Mm. Um, and uh, you have to have a system which, which can differentiate uh, people coming for a short period of time who would not be international migrants in the conventional sense, and, and those who are staying for a year or usually much more than that yes. who are international migrants and, and in the past we simply asked them or at least asked a sample of them now it, it's much more a question of ticking boxes and filling in forms yes and so i mean if this trend continues um what do you think is responsible for it because if an awful lot of these are students who are coming uh, many of whom bring dependents with them has the student business become more affordable here or something i mean why suddenly now rather than 10 years ago We've become, uh, both in respect of students in universities and in respect of workers in all aspects of, of the economy, um, uh, much more dependent upon migrants. We will be mainlining on, 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 on migration, uh, both from the point of view of the workforce and also from the point of view of keeping universities solvent. Yeah. Because the, the, the fees paid by domestic students are, are not enough to keep them going. Um, the universities depend uh, and, and have been increasingly dependent upon overseas students who pay a proper proper economic level fees um, uh, for, for, for their, um, their survival and, and for their growth and for their expansion. Mm. Um, and so it is a kind of migration addiction, both in the university level yeah. and in the economy in general. Well, that's the trouble, isn't it? Because we've been talking today about the sort of correlation between a group of people who are economically inactive in this country, some of whom might be immigrants, 5.2 million of them who don't have a job, basically, uh, and who exist on benefits alone uh, and probably are never going to work because there's no need for them to do so. And the rising number of people coming to the country from elsewhere. So there's a sort of correlation of, of sorts, but nobody's quite sure what the numbers are, you know, to compare and contrast. Well, there's, 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 some, there's some truth in that. It wouldn't be right to say that migrants are coming primarily to, 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 to sponge off the welfare system. No, I don't think that's true. No, I, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is, that, is it interesting that, that the migrants are coming to fill certain types of jobs, which people in this country could do if they weren't on benefits? They could do uh, if, if um, uh, there, there was more motivation, if uh, the welfare system were tweaked uh, to make it uh, less comfortable to be out of work uh, if you're of working age and, and, and fit to work. Yeah. Uh, and, um, uh, and that would be an enormous advantage. There's getting on for a million people, more than that. In fact, it would be mobilized um, without, uh, to the great benefit of the yeah. economy. Um, one thing which I think we ought to keep in mind is that we may be importing uh, uh, unemployment on a very large scale in the future mm. if it is the case that artificial intelligence plus uh, mechanical automation of various sorts displaces uh, a lot of jobs. This has been worried in the past, as you know, in the Industrial Revolution, and it turned out to be wrong. Yes. Um, a created job, it didn't destroy them in, in total numbers. Well, the other, intelligence suppose, may be quite different. Yes. I mean, I suppose the other possibility is that there are people coming here, perhaps as students or to work, but they could be working perhaps after that time in the black economy, so that they're not actually kind of even registered. And it could well also be that even those who come to work who bring dependents work out that the benefit system here is rather easy to navigate and they maybe get themselves some benefits as well. Well, that, 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 that may be true. And, and of course, the, the, the government has made that official by um, uh, uh, allowing a post-study route to, to work. Um, uh, for, for, to look for work for two hours, uh, for, for, for two years, uh, for, for graduates, um, which the previous government had, had stopped. Um, 
I think that the, the expansion of employment in, in, in this way makes life far too easy for employers. The, the way forward ought to be um, to uh, in, in, in increase investment in, in the efficiency of the way that things are done, both in manufacturing and, and in services, and increase productivity, because, because productivity is the underlying vice of our economy, as, as you know. Uh, and uh, easy access to uh, or apparently limitless sources of labour from overseas is, is absolutely the wrong way to go for improving productivity. Yes. So, I mean, until government policy changes, this is going to continue, right? I mean, whether or not they solve the small boats crisis, which is not looking great for them at the moment, it has to be said, um, how does the government reduce the numbers of people coming into the, to the country? Because the other problem we've got is not enough housing. Well, that's an extremely good point. Um, the, the greater part of the housing demand, which we worry about so much, is, is due to migration. Yeah. Uh, because the, the natural increase of, the, of, the, of, the, of the, the population living in Britain is, is very small. Um, yes, uh, people move around. Yes, uh, the age structure changes, uh, and that uh, generates a domestic demand for housing. But but most demand for housing is a, is a consequence of the level of migration, which at the moment is about... Um, uh, 250,000 a year net mm. uh, and as you were saying is, is, is expected uh, to become very much higher. We don't know that yet by the way. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's speculation but it seems to be a very widespread yes. and rather well-founded speculation. Well the trouble is politically speaking this is such a hot potato this subject isn't it because the people who believe in sort of open borders and who believe that everybody has a right to move anywhere in the world that they want think this can continue yes. forever but it simply yes. can't. We are not um, yes. You know, a country with infinite space, to be honest. Yes. If migration uh, uh, continues at the rate which is, which is now speculated about, then by about 2040, uh, that would take the population from today's 67 million to about 83 million. Mm. And if it continued till 2061, it would take it uh, to just under 100 million. Uh, th th these are That's surely, mad, uh, isn't it? Th these are insupportable figures, I yeah. would have thought. Well, exactly right. And I mean, looking at um, a piece from um, a 2021 survey, um, basically the number of people in England and Wales who were born outside the UK increased in the previous 10 years by 2.5 million. That sounds like it's exponentially going to get even bigger. If, if this forecast is... is Turns out to be true. It, it, it'll be it'll dwarf any, any previous level of, of population growth yeah. and generate really serious problems. And much uh, of that growth will be in the cities, won't it? Uh, well, yes, but don't don't forget that if uh, that there's also d displacement to the countryside and uh, to small towns. Mm. If you drive around England at the moment, you see an enormous amount of new construction going on uh, around any time the town that you care to look at. Yes. I mean, I don't know how this ends then. How does it end? Or how does it stop? It, it, it ends uh, with, as, as you were saying, um, some radical steps to control migration, um, to um, put much more of, a, of an onus on both the universities yeah. and especially employers uh, to um, uh, make provision uh, in, in housing, for example, uh, for, for their own uh, the people whom they say uh, that they need and have to have. Um, severely restricting, I, I think, the, the, the extent to which dependents can come, uh, accompanying students and also uh, accompanying short-term workers. Um, uh, there are a lot of things you can do, but the government is not disposed to do it. 
because the, the 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 matter seems to be find out what the employers and uh, and the universities want uh, and give it to them. And is this a Europe-wide problem at the moment? Would you say, Professor? There's a general problem of of, of population pressure on on on, uh, on on the developed world in general, and, and this is partly arising out of. Uh, events happening overseas, um, uh, um, destabilization of lots of countries, but particularly in the poorer countries of the world, but but also a, a demand um, for for workers from from employers who um, uh, don't wish to pay the sorts of um, money or, or offer the sorts of conditions that domestic labour wants, and which is also frightened, of course, of the way in which populations are ageing um, and the, the, where the ratio of the number of people in the, in the economy who are um, of normal working age um, is changing unfavourably mm. in relation to those who are retired. Yeah. Then, of course, that's, that's partly a question of, of changing um, assumptions about retirement age. Mm. And you've seen how difficult that is from the riots in France. Well, they don't even want to work beyond about 62, do they? Uh, that would be a chance to be a fine thing, but there we are. Good to talk to you, Professor David Coleman. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Professor of Demography from the University of Oxford. Um, it doesn't sound like um, a recipe for anything other than disaster, does it? 100 million people living in Britain by 2040, did he say? Blimey. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. This is, of course, uh, the one place to be for the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Prime Minister's question is underway. Rishi Sunak and Sir Keir Starmer going at it hammer and tongs. We'll bring you the best of that coming up a little bit later on uh, in this hour. But for now, we've got a lot more important things to talk about, a lot more important things to do. I've got this uh, from somebody who says they're a care and support worker. Uh, she says, I work with many people on incapacity benefits, some of which seem very able to work, uh, but have been deemed unfit due to self-diagnosed health problems such as epilepsy or mental illness. Some of these people are in receipt of expensive drugs that are sometimes not at all necessary and often not taken. It seems that the care sector is tied to taking people at their word. Some of these people are now trapped as they have limited skills to prepare for starting work if they do wish to and are in fear of losing their current benefits. Well, that is the problem. 5.2 million people, as I say, it may well be a difficult system to navigate. It might even be a difficult system to get your foot on the first rung of the ladder on. But once you're in the benefit system, not only uh, are you staying in it, it's pretty hard to be kicked out of it as well because people have told me that that they've tried to leave the system and they keep getting money so again an inefficient civil service system which doesn't work uh, at the point of sale and doesn't work for the people who are in it and doesn't work for the people who want to get into it and who can't it's just simply inefficient all round coming up peter cardwell will talk to us a little bit later on right now though howard cox is here uh, from fair fuel uk but today wearing a new hat howard a very good afternoon to you Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm very well indeed. I understand you've got some news for us. Yes, it's today I officially announced my candidacy for the London Mayor. Fantastic. Now, um, that wouldn't be uh, Sadiq Khan by any chance you're going to be fighting against. <laughs> oh, that that very honest, you know, democratic you know, uh, politician. London's yes. most popular man. I mean, you <laughs> you won't have to look far to get a lot of support, I wouldn't have thought, would you? No, I mean, it's incredible. I announced it last night. The Sun and the Telegraph went with an exclusive yes, last night. And just in, in 10, 12 hours, I've had something like 6,000 emails, loads of Twitter likes, etc. 
all wishing me luck and uh, saying, let's get rid of this man. We need to ditch him as soon as possible. Yeah. And obviously you're coming at this from the ULES perspective. You've got taxi drivers in full support of you. Uh, I imagine you'll get an awful lot of Londoners who, uh, who need to drive for a living supporting you as well. Tell us what your plan would be. Well, obviously, we're going to ditch uh, or scrap the whole of ULES, not just the extension. That, and that's the uh, clear blue water in between uh, me and the Tories. Uh, we want to get rid of the whole of ULES. We want to cut crime and, above all, ditch Khan because he's causing so much damage and he's wrecking uh, the UK economy, uh, the, the London economy. Yeah. It's as simple as that. I, I produced a report only last week, and I think you may have picked it up, is that £800 million a year uh, is, the ULES is costing uh, the GDP of London. He's wrecking the economy, and not just only in terms of actually congestion and strangling our streets. He's wrecking the economy. Yeah. And it's not just the London economy. I mean, you, you, you make a good point. But equally, there are people who now don't come to London from elsewhere in the, in the country because either one, they can't afford it. Two, they don't want to get hit by a congestion charge or another charge they don't fully understand. Because the thing about you, Les, is that nobody really gets it. You know, we talk about it all the time. You and I understand what it is. But most ordinary people with cars don't really know whether they have to pay it or not. Well, it's also a regressive tax. It's small income, or low income families. It hits uh, the electrician, the plumbers. I got an, uh, an email only last night from a guy that's saying he can't afford to come in. He's using an Uber to come in to bring yeah. his, his carpenter to bring his tools to do the work he's doing because he can't afford to pay yeah. the twelve fifty. And I said, what about the Uber? He said, the Uber is only six pounds. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, this is what Sadiq Khan wants. He wants people travelling around on the underground with ladders and all sorts of things, isn't he? Knocking people over and them, knocking them under trains. It'd be great. Brilliant. Um, what about the, uh, the situation regarding things like the congestion charge? Because the congestion charge, again, for a lot of people, they don't know how to pay it. If they're strangers to the city, there's no signs anymore that tell them how to do that. Um, are they going to be... Uh, are you going to have any plans to either reduce that or, or make the hours different, anything like that? We've got to look at the congestion charge because I, 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 I understand with all the stats I've been given, the congestion charge has reduced congestion. So that's a good thing. Really? But I want to look at make sure. Yes, I, I think we could make, make sure that, that is the truth. If it isn't the truth, I'm sorry, it's going to go as well. Well, I can tell you it's not the truth because I come into the congestion charge zone pretty much every day um, and the traffic is as bad as it's ever been. No, Sometimes that's a good worse. point. You know, yeah, I'll, be more, I think... I'll be more than happy to supply you with some uh, up-to-date data should you wish for it. <laughs> I, I can always rely on you, Mike. But don't forget, there's a little matter of the cycle lanes and the LTNs. Oh. Well, this is, the other, this, is, this is the other problem. The cycle lanes, we've got the, the scooter brigade, we've got all the mopeds, people driving around, many of them working illegally. I mean, you know, it's an absolute menace driving on the roads in London now because you're so busy trying to avoid hitting anyone. I mean, I was just yesterday, right, um, I was driving back home and I was one of these kids on one of those um, Lime electric bikes, which go at a fair rate of knots, right? And this guy was determined to, to undertake me on the inside, which is really dangerous for a start. Um, so we pulled, we, as I was coming up towards the traffic light, there was a white van in front of me, stopped. He was about to turn right, if you can imagine the scene. This guy tries to come up on the inside, so I sort of slightly made my car occupy the left uh, closest to the, right. to the curb, okay. right? So he comes swinging around me to the right, thinking he could just go round me, right? At the same time, the guy in front of me turns right, slams straight into the van. And you just think, you know, uh, what an idiot. Unbelievable. And I mean, he wasn't hurt, so I'm not taking, making fun of that. But I mean, it shows you what happens on a daily basis in London. It's mayhem out there.
Well, that's what thing I, I want to get London moving again in both economically and on the roads and that sort of thing. I also want to put more bobbies on the beach yes. and I want to put more social housing. So it's, I'm, I'm not a one trick pony in this case. They've taken a lot of my wife and I sat down for the last month to actually, um, as you know, Richard Tice, leader of Reform UK, I'm standing for. Yeah. He, I mean, the bad news for you, Howard, is you have to spend quite a bit of time with Tice now. I mean, that's the trouble, you know, but it's, <laughs> it's good news well, for the rest of us. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, let me tell you. Let me just show you the, my campaigning car. Yes. Oh, yes. I like the look of that. Very nice. There Reform blue. Yeah. Look, do you like it, Mike? I do. Very good. Yeah. I, I've got a certain Mr. Tice next to me here. Come on, Richard. Come and meet Mike. <laughs> now, Richard Tice. Hello, Mike. How are you, sir? Look I, at this. I'm very well Great indeed. Very what do you well. think of our marvellous taxi? I, lo I, I, I love it. I'd like, I'd like to see a whole fleet of them, actually. And um, <laughs> I, you've got... Uh, Mr Tice has got a, 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 a name for spotting talent. So you spotted yet another talent to run London. I can't wait for the election now. Something to look forward to. Well, it's 12 months away. We've got a lot of hard work. But I tell you what, we can get London moving with Howard Cox. Excellent. Um, have you got any powers over the Just Stop Oil Brigade? Can you, can you make sure that the police <laughs> lift them off the streets whenever they sit down? Watch this space, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, listen, congratulations and well done Thank indeed. You. And uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing lots of you. Richard Tice, of course, will be back here with me on Friday morning. Um, the Reform Party have now got their own mayoral candidate. Uh, he's going to take on Sadiq Khan. Couldn't be a better man for the job because he knows an awful lot about all things to do with the congestion charge, the ULEZ, but not just that, uh, putting more bobbies on the beat as well. So we'll hear more, I'm sure, uh, from Howard Cox. Don't forget, by the way, you can subscribe to the Independent Republican Mike Graham podcast so you never have to miss a moment from the show. Subscribe to it, download it now from wherever you get your podcasts. And it is a thing of great beauty. There'll be one out, I'm sure, uh, even as we speak, if not very, very shortly indeed. Coming up at one o'clock as well, Ian Collins is going to be here all the way through with you until four when Vanessa takes the helm. Then it's Jeremy Carl, then it's Piers Morgan Uncensored. The talk following that, of course, as well. Let's go back to the phone. Simon uh, is in West Yorkshire. Hi, Simon. Simon's gone. He hung up. That's not very uh, nice. Imagine that. Imagine ringing up a show and then hanging up. Perhaps. He will be back. We'll get him back. Uh, how about this from Brian in Worthing? He says, just a suggestion, Mike. Why don't Just Stop Oil go to China and glue themselves to the road and see what happens? <laughs> well, I think we all know what would happen. Terry in Birmingham. Hi, Mike. If the Lords block the migrant bill, Sunak should come on the TV, all guns blazing, and point the finger, not shrug and shy away. The public needs to know why it's being blocked. I think we've got Simon back. Hello, Simon. Oh, he's gone again. Simon's got a phone that doesn't work. It must be one of those uh, Chinese ones. Um, who knows? We'll get him back in a second. Here's the thing, though, about the House of Lords. If the House of Lords sort of delays the bill, shall we say, that's fine. But if the House of Lords tries to block the bill, that's not so fine. And at the end of the day, the House of Lords is there for a reason, and everybody understands what that reason is. I don't think it's going to help Suella Braverman's cause, other than a PR kind of help, that she has more or less instructed them to help... Uh, with the will of the people. She doesn't want them to stop the will of the people. But that's not really their job. Their job is not to do what the Home Secretary wants. Their job is not to do what the government wants. And I've got no problem with the House of Lords actually, you know, scrutinising a bill. What I don't want them to do uh, is to get all carried away and become all lefty liberal about it. That's all. I think the House of Lords is a fine organisation as long as it's about half the size of what it is now.
That would be my view. 0344-499-1000. Hi, Mike and team says, Susan, it seems to me that the situation of our GP services have gone completely haywire. The problem has arisen following the early retirement of many very good, experienced GPs. Basically, we've been left with a huge gap. My trusted, wonderful, competent GP retired early, leaving myself and a load of other patients of his bereft. And we are now in the hands of new, totally strange replacements. Incidentally, both myself and many other female patients of our retired GP had, in fact, actually fallen quite heavily in love with the aforementioned retired doctor. Well, really? Goodness gracious me. Pat's in London. Hi, Pat. Oh, hello, Mike. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I haven't spoken to you for a hell of a long time. Oh, no, I was going to say, we've not spoken for ages. I'm not even sure you've spoken to me this year, have you? Well, it's very hard to get through. It is quite busy these days. I apologise for that. But listen, what, what do you no, want to tell no, me? It's, not, it's nothing to do with you. It's, it's, it's the volume of calls. It's just, yeah, there's a lot more people nothing getting in to touch. Do with what you, it's nothing to do with you. Anyway, to business. Yeah, go on. Um, the thing is, I, 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 I like, as I said to your lady on the, you know, on the switchboard, yeah. I, 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 I like what that, you know, the mayoral candidate for next year has to say. Yes. I mean, I think he's got, it, it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, the only thing is, I think there's a, a big um, brick wall facing any mayoral candidate. I think I think it'll be bent. It's going to be I very think... difficult to get past Sadiq Khan, but this might be the time. Well, I hope it is, but because I mean, how many people own a motor in London or the Surrey? I mean, you know, anybody with a motor, millions. It's like it's like Turkey's voting for Christmas. Now, how he got in the last time, I don't know. I know. I mean, it's hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, I think the trouble is the Labour Party machine in London is very good. And because it's anybody but a Tory, almost anybody standing for Labour could get in. But I think he got a shock last time because he nearly didn't get in. Sean Bailey actually did a lot better than everybody thought. Yeah, absolutely. But nearly ain't good enough. You know, nearly is it's like... Up losing a game three two or on penalties, it's not good enough. Um, and and I've got another uh, a little thing about like Saturday the fly pass. I mean, this is just a little throwaway quip about the fly pass. I was, uh, how is it that vintage fifty year old Hawk jets, i.e. the Red Arrows, could fly, and seventy five million pound high tech fighter jets couldn't? Yes. Interesting, that, isn't it? Um, I was laughing at somebody who suggested that Sadiq Khan was going to try and charge him a congestion charge for flying over central London. Environmental, yeah. Well, I don't, yeah, it could have been. I don't know. I mean, it was very dark. And I mean, suddenly when I was looking out the window here on Saturday, because I was in here in, in Saturday afternoon, uh, you couldn't really make out the helicopters at all. And I guess yeah. the red arrows, you're always going to see them because of the smoke. But, um, but you couldn't really see the helicopters at all. They're 50-year-old planes. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they've got no modern avionics in them. I mean, we're talking about typhoons and these F-35s, you know, cutting-edge fighters. Yeah. You know, it could be out, you should be out of flight at night as well. Right. You know, I they mean, should. what are they going to do, do when the, if the Russian, if the Russian bombers and fighters come over, what are they going to tell them we can't, we'll send up the Red Arrows? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit dark. <laughs> I take your point, Pat. It's a good one. Thank you very much indeed. Ellen, stay where you are. We'll come back to you in a moment. This is Talk TV. Of course, it's the place to be. 
Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 